0: ever uh, ever have a divine encounter? Uh, if you read your Bible, you realize it happens uh, all the time. People just walk into God. Um, it happened to Abraham. He was just minding his own business. God came to Abraham and invited Abraham to go with him. As we know, Abraham left his home uh, and went to a place not knowing where he was going. It it happened to Moses. Moses one day was just pasturing the flock of his father-in-law. God appeared to him. Next thing you know, Moses is off to Egypt to do something that he knew was impossible. It happened to David. David woke up one morning, and he was a lowly shepherd boy. He went to bed that night, and he had been anointed the future king of Israel. It happened to Matthew, you remember? You remember the count? Matthew was a tax collector. He's just sitting at his tables collecting his taxes. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. Matthew did. <laughs> I mean, this is what we see on the pages of Scripture. It happened to Paul. Paul was on important religious business on his way to Damascus one day. And God in- literally invaded Paul's life. Paul was never the same. It happened to that Samaritan woman who went to the well one afternoon and she just walked into Jesus and He changed her life forever. happened to me when I was 28. I was a religious man. I would just show up and go to church. You know, I just felt like I should go to church. So I went to church. It's good to go to church. Cool stuff happens at church. I got saved that day. I was 28 years old. Somebody read the Word of God and... Bam! I heard God. I heard Him for the first time in my life. I heard Him. And He converted me. And it's never been the same since. If you're a Christian tonight, it's happened to you. You've had that divine encounter. And God has turned your life upside down. And it's been an awesome thing. Sometimes a difficult thing, but always an awesome thing. It's not something you planned. It's something he planned. I didn't plan to get converted one Sunday morning at church. I didn't plan on it. In fact, I already thought I was a Christian. (laughs) You know, I'd done all that stuff when I was a kid, right? But I was born again that morning when I was 28. It's what uh, I love how John Piper says it. He says, God comes in the midst of real life for the least likely. Don't you love that? If you're a Christian, you understand that. God comes in the midst of real life for the least likely. I know I am the least likely. And if, you, if you're honest with yourself, you understand that about yourself. We are what? What does Romans chapter 5 tell us? We are the enemies of God. We don't deserve for God to come to us. And yet, in his gracious love, he does. It's what happened to Peter, the writer of of this book we're going to study now. I'm going to lay some background. I just want to let you know I'm going to lay some background. So I'm not going to get into the text immediately. And I'm only going to make it through verse one, okay? (laughs) But we're just going to lay some background. Because as I meditated on this text, I realized that thinking about the man who wrote this book informs. This book, And I think if we'll take time to, to look at some of the things that Peter experienced, we'll have, a, we'll have an easier time understanding some of the things that, that he writes in this beautiful little letter. You may remember that it, this, this happened to Peter. He had, a, had had a particularly hard day at work. He was a fisherman, right? Do you remember the account? He had caught no fish. Jesus said... Why don't you put your nets out one more time? Of course, Peter was incredulous. Peter was skeptical. But he did it. What happened? Does anybody remember what happened? It about sunk both of his boats. They caught so many fish that both of his boats just about sank. Peter immediately recognized the deity of Christ. And he he hid his face more or less, at least in in a figurative sense, and he said, Depart from me. I am a sinful man. The text says that Jesus... Actually, the text says He left everything and followed Jesus. I don't even know if Jesus... I don't remember the text exactly. I don't even think Jesus said, follow me. The text just says, Simon Peter left everything and followed Jesus Christ. And you may remember, Jesus said to him, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Now, Cephas is Aramaic. It means stone or rock. We know him as Peter. Peter is the Greek which stands for rock. From the Scripture, if we look at the Gospels, we see that by nature, Peter is a bit impulsive, indecisive, and sometimes unreliable. He makes promises he doesn't keep. He starts things that he does not finish. He is sometimes reckless and does things without without thinking. He sounds like he sounds like me. <laughs> I don't know. I think one reason a lot of people, people love Peter is uh, because he's such a human being. And he is like us. He's just like every other Christian. He has his good days and he has his bad days. Sometimes he spoke and acted in the flesh. Sometimes he spoke and acted in the Spirit. I love what John MacArthur writes about uh, Peter he says this, Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. It appears because He wanted the nickname to be a perpetual reminder to Him about who He should be. Now, this is not a universal rule, but many times when you read the Gospels, you'll see that the Gospel writers will refer to Simon when He's in the flesh. They'll refer to him as Peter When he's in the Spirit, you can test that for yourself. It's not a universal rule, but it happens quite often. Sometimes he acted like Simon. He was in the flesh. He's just like you. Sometimes he acted like Peter. Like his born-again self. He's just like you and me. He's just like you and me. We all understand this battle that rages within us. It's that Romans chapter 7 thing. We understand that we, we are at war with the sin within us. We are born again, and yet we still struggle with our old fallen nature. We all understand that. And Peter really uh, exhibits that and illustrates that on the pages of Scripture. We know that Simon Peter, he was married, his wife would go with him uh, in his evangelistic travels. He had a brother named Andrew who was also a disciple. We know that Peter was in the fishing business with two guys named James and John, uh, the the sons of Zebedee. So we understand that that Peter left his business to follow Christ. And we also understand from Scripture that Peter was the leader of the twelve. There's no debate about this. He was the clear leader of the disciples. MacArthur, John MacArthur writes a, a short little paragraph. I want to read it to you. It really sums up Peter's bio in Scripture. Okay, Listen to this. Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Christ. No one speaks as often as Peter does. And no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as, as, often as Peter is. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter. And no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged His leadership more explicitly. Yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. No one uh, one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was. Yet Peter was also the only one Christ ever addressed. As Satan. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at this man, the Holy Spirit chose to write the book of 1 Peter. And I want to look at a couple of events in his life. I think these events uniquely qualify him to be used of God to write this. This little book, some of you may know what this book is principally about. It touches on many subjects, but it's principally a letter of encouragement to Christians who are being persecuted. So I think Peter was a good choice to write this book. This book encourages believers to trust in the sovereignty of God in the midst of their persecutions, their trials, and their difficulties first Peter clearly understood about true conversion it had happened to him he understood the theological dynamics of making a sound profession of faith do you remember Peter's profession of faith anyone remember one day Jesus turned to his men and he said who do men say that I am and some, some of his guys said, well, they say you're John the Baptist. Some said they say you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah. And Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? What did Peter say? Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And what did Jesus say to him? Does anybody remember? Peter, good work. I'm glad you figured it out. You're so much smarter than the rest of these guys. Is that what Jesus said? What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Blessed are you, Sabin Barjona. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. Peter understands that true conversion is supernatural. Peter understands that uh, true conversion, it's the initiation of God. Peter understands that. Jesus explained it to him. Peter, the only reason you understand that I am the Christ, the Son of God, is because God has revealed it to you supernaturally. Blessed are you, Peter. Blessed are you. It has been revealed to you. So Peter understands the supernatural nature of true conversion. It's what Jesus said in John 6.65. Some of you may not have ever even heard this passage it's a passage that makes some people very uncomfortable. But listen, beloved, when you hit those passages that make you uncomfortable, you simply have to remember who God is. You know, you just have to remember what you know to be true about God. He is a just God, he is a fair God, he is a righteous God. Remember that great verse Jesus said, "No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father." Peter understood this. Peter understood it had been granted to him to come to the Father. It's the high sovereignty of God and the salvation of His people. And it's, it's the, one of the first points of, in his letter. Did you notice? It's one of the first points in his letter. He says, you guys are aliens. Look at verse 1. You are aliens. And you are chosen, going into verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. And essentially, he begins this letter of encouragement To these persecuted Christians, reminding them, he says, hey, no matter how hard it gets, blessed are you. God has disclosed himself to you. Beloved, on your hardest day, you can count your blessings. It has been granted to you that you might know the Father. The Father has disclosed himself to you. This is high sovereignty. Many people don't like it. Many people run from it. Many churches don't teach it. Even if it's in the text, they skip it. This is one reason, most of the time, I preach verse by verse. Because it, it makes me have integrity with the Scripture. I can't run from things that I may personally struggle with. And many people struggle with this truth. I don't understand why. I personally don't understand why. I think this is a beautiful truth. I think this is why the Holy Spirit instructs Peter to begin with this. These, these, these Christians are suffering uh, terribly at this point. And the first thing he says to them, you're basically suffering because you don't belong here. You're aliens. And you're suffering because I have chosen you. You are mine. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Peter says, no matter how hard it gets, God has revealed Himself to you. No matter how hard it gets, God has chosen you. So why does Peter get this uh, and understand this theological point so well? Namely, that understanding God's sovereignty is an indispensable comfort in trial. Let me say that again. Understanding God's sovereignty is an indispensable comfort in trial. How does he understand this and, and know this? It's because he has lived this and this truth helped him get through one of the most difficult points and worst times of his life. Do you remember what happened the night Jesus was arrested right before the cross? Does anyone, anyone remember? He was up in the upper room with, with the disciples. And Jesus turns to Peter. Anybody remember what He says? He says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Now, if you look up the word sift, uh, the Greek word translated sift, you look it up in a Greek lexicon, this is what you see. It says, to try one's faith to the verge of overthrow. Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to try to overthrow your faith. To reveal that it's counterfeit. Satan has demanded... Permission to sift you like wheat. Now, no no doubt this was a startling thing for Peter to hear Jesus say to him. But I suspect he's not too concerned for two very different reasons. One is he knows Jesus loves him. He knows it. all, All of us who are converted, all of us who are born again, we understand that Jesus loves us. We also know something that Peter knew. Jesus is omnipotent. He is God. Peter had just seen Jesus call Lazarus out of the tomb. So we get that. He loves us and He's omnipotent. He'll never let, you know, the deduction is He'll never let any serious trial come into our life. Right? Wrong. If we read our Bibles, we understand that that deduction is not biblical. Although many false Gospels go out, name and claimant Gospels go out, using Jesus as uh, a rabbit's foot or... As a genie in a bottle. The second reason I don't think Peter was overly concerned about what Jesus had said to him is that Peter has a lot of confidence in himself. He is a super-duper Christian dude, right? Because he had told Jesus, what? I'm ready, what? To be arrested and go to death for you. He'd said that. So Peter's not afraid because he knows God's going to protect him from any serious harm or any serious trial. And he knows he can take whatever Satan dishes out. Right? Some of you think this. We have a small group. Maybe none of you think this. But I I would speculate that some of you may think like this. Well, guess what? Peter was wrong on both counts. He was wrong on both counts. God gave Satan permission to sift Peter And Peter failed miserably. You remember in the face of a little slave girl around the bonfire, she said, I think you're one of those Galileans. Do you remember what Peter did? He denied Christ. He just outright denied Him. He would have never suspected he would do that. But he did it. And do you remember two more guys accused him of being a Galilean, of being one of those guys that belonged to Jesus? Does anybody remember what Peter did? What the text says? He swore and he cursed. And he denied Christ two more times. He said, I don't belong to him. I don't know the man. So Peter failed the test. When the trial came and the fear came and the threat came, Peter failed. So how did he survive this very public Um, and devastating failure to remain the leader of the disciples and a leader in the early church. It's right there in that Luke passage. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Does anybody else remember when Jesus warned Peter that Satan had demanded to sift him? What else Jesus told Peter? Does anyone remember? Pardon me? I have prayed for you. That's how Peter... That's how Peter got through the trial. That's how Peter was reinstated as a leader. It wasn't about because Peter was all that. It was because Christ is all that. And he said, I have prayed for you. Peter understood. He came through the trial because of the the sovereignty of God. He came through the trial Because the Father and the Son and the Spirit were holding Him. This is why He's the perfect guy to write 1 Peter. He's the perfect guy to write a book of encouragement to Christians who are going through a hard experience. Jesus didn't say, also in that text, Jesus says to him, He says, When once you have returned, Again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus doesn't say if you return. Jesus says when you return. Jesus knows he will return because Jesus is holding him. Jesus is interceding for him. If you read Romans chapter 8, you realize that two members of the Trinity are interceding for every Christian on the planet. It's an awesome deal, man. I mean, (laughs) you know, two members of the Trinity are interceding for me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Peter's salvation was secure because his salvation was of God. And Peter would come through this God-ordained trial because the Trinity was holding him. It's what Peter had heard Jesus say at least nine times during his life and ministry. It's recorded nine times in the Gospel of John. That the true believer is a love gift from the Father to the Son. I don't think we meditate on that enough. Somehow it seems to get skipped. Somehow we don't think about it. But I'll tell you, if you want to you know, talk about once saved, always saved, that if we're really a Christian, we can never lose our salvation. There are many doctrinal points I can make, but I think this may be one of the most important. We are a gift from the Father to the Son. You think the Son's ever going to lose one? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, he talks about us being a love gift, and then he says says the most beautiful thing. He says, I'll never lose one. Never. Not one. Beloved, this is awesome stuff. This is why Peter's talking to these suffering Christians about God's sovereignty. You may be suffering, but I'll never lose you. You belong to me. You belong to me. It's a beautiful thing that Peter is showing to these suffering Christians and to us as well. So what was the test and the trial all about? We understand as Christians. If we're biblically knowledgeable, we understand. Yes, Satan meant it for evil. He always does. Satan wanted to overthrow Peter's faith. But what did God mean it for? Someone tell me. Good. Good. How did God work through the trial? He annihilates Peter's pride and Peter's self-confidence is utterly annihilated. Now, Peter's confidence is in the sovereign God who prays for Him and holds Him and intercedes for Him. He no longer considers himself a super-duper Christian dude. He knows he is a sinner who may fall any moment lest God hold him. Beloved, there's power here. There's, there's a ton of power here for us. There's a ton of, of uh, yeah, license and freedom in understanding that God holds us sovereignly. And we can be about His business without fear and with great boldness. Peter understood very well that he did not find God. God found Him. He was standing there that day when Jesus said, You did not choose Me. I chose You. Again, I know many churches don't like this doctrine. They never preach it. They never talk about it. They explain it away. Beloved, this is wrong. We just need to receive what God says to us in His Word. And if we struggle with it, great! Get in the text and wrestle with it. You know? Struggle with it. Sweat blood over it. Sweat tears over it. Uh, if you don't understand it. But don't ignore it and don't run from it. Peter stood there and he heard Jesus say those words. And Peter came to understand that his own trial, through his own trial, that God was working good. He understood that it was God-ordained. He understood that it was God-sanctioned. Beloved, God is not absent in your trial. He is in the middle of your trial. I'll say it again. God is not absent. On the hard day, when you feel abandoned, He is not gone. He did not abandon you, He's right there with you. This is what we need to understand and always remember. Without question, Peter had read Paul's letter to the Romans, which had been written five or six years before Peter penned uh, this letter. Peter knew what Romans 8.28 says. Someone tell me what Romans 8.28 says. You need to know Romans 8.28. Pardon me? Exactly. God causes all things to work for good for those who love God, those called according to His purpose. Beloved, that's a mountaintop to stand on. That's that's license to be a radical Christian in the world. You don't have to be afraid of anybody. Well, if if I don't do that illegal thing, I'll lose my job. Lose your job! Or my friend won't like me if I don't go do that. Lose your friend! Listen, be a man of God. Be a woman of God. You're only here for a few minutes as compared with eternity. You're only here. For a few moments, the only reason God has left you on the planet is that you would be a radical Christian in the world. Because radical Christians turn the world upside down. And people watch radical Christians live their lives, and their life gets turned upside down. Beloved, we're here to do a job. But Peter knew, Romans 8:28. God causes everything, even the hardest thing God causes for the good of those who love Him. In the, verse, the very next verse, Romans 8.29, and God's purpose is that we become conformed to the image of His Son. Beloved, good day, hard day, God is conforming us to the image of His Son. Isn't that an awesome thing? He's making us like Jesus. <laughs> and guess what? God is the master artisan. He always ends up with a masterpiece. And I know it hurts sometimes when, when the potter presses down on the clay. I know! If you're a Christian tonight, you understand what it feels like when, when the Master presses down on the clay. You've been there. But beloved, He's making a masterpiece. He's going to bring you into conformity with His Son. So Peter understood that that's what God did in and through His own trial. In His trial, He became less like Peter and more like Jesus. In the trial, the fire burned the dross away. This is what God does in His children's lives. And no question, Peter had read Paul's letter to the Philippians, which was, which was written two to three years let, uh, before Peter wrote this letter. And Paul had written to the Philippians that God, who has begun a good work in you, will perfect it. Don't you love that? <laughs> God is, God's hands are on you. God will perfect it. Of course, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our own sanctification. Of course we do. Of course we do. But our ultimate hope and assurance is that God is at work in us and we have the promise that God will complete that good work. So the Holy Spirit is using Peter to write this vital lesson for the 1st century Christian and also for the 21st century Christian. Peter has experienced the sovereignty of God in his own salvation. And Peter has experienced the sovereignty of God in his own trials. Peter is perfect to write this book of encouragement. As some of you know, who know your history, your New Testament history, you know that as Peter writes this letter, there's a great persecution ongoing. Does anyone know why the uh, Christians are being persecuted throughout the empire at this point? Nero has burned Rome and he has blamed the Christians for it. And so there's a great persecution among Christians at this time. So Peter begins the book reminding the 1st century Christian as well as the 21st century Christian that their suffering was not due to God's neglect. It's due to God's gracious choice of them I want you to remember the first thing he says to him he says you're an alien the second thing he says to him is that you are chosen by God they're suffering persecution not because God doesn't love them but because God has loved them from eternity past and will love them through eternity future they're suffering because they are loved do you understand what I'm saying The church church needs to understand this. Of course, we have it easy in the West. Most of us will never encounter persecution. Physical persecution. There are other kinds, obviously. But these trials, these persecutions did not arise because God had forgotten them. They arose because God had elected them. Do you see why Peter's beginning the book this way? He says, I know it's hard, but you're an alien and you're chosen. I love this. I think this is so powerful. This is what the Lord showed me this week. I got so jazzed about this text as I prayed about it and dealt with it. These trials had not come because they were forsaken, they had come because they were adopted. Beloved, when the trial comes, you're not supposed to be surprised. When the persecution comes, you're not supposed to be surprised. Someone tell me what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be ready. When the hard day comes, we're supposed to be ready. We're not supposed to be shocked and surprised. God expects His people to be ready. Ready? Because the storm will come. In every Christian's life, the storm will come. The storm will come. And I want to say to you, understanding the sovereignty of God in the midst of a trial is a wonderful thing. We understand that we're not just in the midst of uh, bad luck. I mean, if you ever look at the word luck, go, go, go study the word luck. It, it's nothing. Luck is nothing. It's a word that men use in the face of ignorance. They can't explain good fortune. They can't explain uh, calamity. So they just use, these, they use this word. That, that ha- it's a vacuous word. It means nothing. We understand this is not about luck. It's about God's hand upon us. It's about the providence of God. It's about what God's doing in me and through me. It's about how God is conforming me to the image of His Son. It's what James says in chapter 1, verse 2. Why does James say, consider it all joy when you go through hard times? Why does James say that? Someone tell me. Because we like to suffer. We're masochists, right? No. We are not masochists. We're like everybody else in the world in that sense. We don't want to suffer. Why does God tell us to rejoice in our suffering? One reason, and there may be many. The first reason that comes to my mind is, it's what I said to you earlier. If the trial has come to you, God has come to you you will meet God in the trial. If you belong to Him, you will meet Him in the trial. And guess what else will happen? You will grow to love Him more in the trial. You know, God is most deeply known. I think I said it last week. At Mount Moriah, in the lion's den, and in the fiery furnace. So we don't run from the trial. We rejoice in the trial. Why? Why? Because God's coming. We'll meet God in the trial. God will change us. God will teach us. And we will love Him more than we have ever loved Him before. This is what we learn from Scripture. Let me just revisit verse 1 here. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let me just interject. There's no legitimate debate in the early church or among New Testament scholars. Peter wrote this. The Peter that was uh, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, there are many ancient writings that were falsified and used Peter's name. This was written by Peter. The the first century church universally accepted it. And there's really no legitimate debate among New Testament scholars. It is an authentic document. He caused them Aliens, I love that. If you're a Christian, that's what you are. That's why it's hard in the world sometimes. That's why you, you feel alone sometimes in the world. That's why it's difficult sometimes in the world. Because you don't belong here. You are merely an ambassador here. You are an ambassador for who? Christ You are an ambassador. That's the only reason you're here. That's the only reason that God has left us here, beloved. I looked up this Greek word translated aliens. It means to be a pilgrim, to be a stranger, to be a foreigner, to be a refugee. Do you see yourself like this? If you're a biblically knowledgeable Christian, you understand this about yourself. This is who you are. You're not here to stay, you're here to leave. You're passing through, you're on your way home. And so you're doing God's errand on the way home. I've shared this with you before when we were in seminary. And Karen would say, well, you know, what are we going to do? And I said, whatever God tells us to do. That's how, I see, that's how we see our lives. We're on our way home. God says, hey, stop by Italy. Preach a little bit while, while you're on your way home. And I may have another errand for you. I don't know. But if you don't hear from me, stay in Italy until, you know, I bring you home. But this is our errand. We're on God's errand. So we're here in Italy on God's errand. Beloved, it's helpful to look at your life this way. (laughs) I'm on God's errand. I'm on my way home, but on the way home, I'm going to stop by Italy and do something. There's something that God has for you to do. As Well, so what's the Holy Spirit saying to us here? He's reminding us that we are aliens and exiles. It's what we see in Hebrews 11. You know, my favorite chapter in the Bible, I think. Do you remember what they said? Hebrews eleven thirteen. The men and women of Hebrews eleven. They said, "The Bible says they confessed that they were strangers and exiles upon the earth. They desired a better country, that is a heavenly one." Real Christians take the long view. Sometimes, obviously, we're like, you know, we get distracted with the world, but we're supposed to be looking at the new heaven and the new earth. We're supposed to be looking at God. We're supposed to be looking at Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to become distracted with all that is shiny in the world. Christians take the long view, and their lives tangibly reflect the fact that they take the long view. New Testament Christians incarnate Philippians 1.21 to live as Christ to die as gain. To live as Christ, to die is gain. You have to be a bona fide alien to really believe that and really live that. Most people in the church, in the professed church, do not believe that really. They'll say it. They like it. It sounds good. It's pretty theology. But to actually own it and live it, no way. To live as Christ, to die is gain. If I live, praise God, it's all about Christ. Right? If I die, praise God, I'll be with Christ. Beloved, we're to have this singular focus. It doesn't mean we don't obviously take care of the responsibilities that God has put around us. Of course, we take care of our family responsibilities, our job responsibilities, our, our cultural responsibilities, our responsibilities in society. Of course, we. But that that all comes under that comes under the rubric or the the umbrella of the call of God. As we look at Him and confess with Paul that to live as Christ. To die is gain. What does God say about the men and women who who live like this? (laughs) Hebrews 11.16 God says, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Don't you love it? Don't you you want to live like that? I'm not ashamed to be their God. Jesus said it. Real Christians are in the world. John chapter 17 But we are not what? Of the world. We are in it, but we are not of it. We are in it, but we do not love it. We are, we are in it, but we do not embrace it. We are in it, but we do not lust for it. We are in it for one reason. as to be an ambassador. Are you being an ambassador? Do you call yourself a Christian tonight? I ask each one of you. you call yourself a Christian tonight? Or are you an ambassador? Or have you allowed yourself to become entangled with the world? Do you love the world more than you love Christ? Do you love the things in the world that you do more than you love Jesus Christ? I think this is one of the messages of, of this book that we're beginning tonight. So the Holy Spirit is reminding the first century Christian who were undergoing brutal persecution that they're merely passing through their aliens. And in one sense, if they lose everything, they've lost nothing. If they lose everything, they've lost nothing. Because why? Why? Can anyone tell me? God is our reward. God is our reward. God is better than anything this life can give and God is better than anything death can take. So why do, some, why do Christians sometimes encounter persecution in this life? Jesus said it in John 15. and I want you to hear me. Listen to this. Most of you know this text. John 15, 19, and 20. Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted Me, they will persecute you. Did you hear what he said? Peter is perfectly echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus says you're not of the world. Jesus says you're chosen. It's exactly what Peter says to open this book to these suffering Christians. You're aliens. You should expect it the world's going to hate you. You belong to God. The world hates God. I know there's a, there's this illusion that the world loves God and that the world is seeking God. If we actually read our Bibles and understand them, we know that mankind does not natural man does not love God. He hates God. Romans chapter 3 tells us that there is no man who seeks for God. That's one reason I never understood why people run from the the doctrine of election because Beloved, if if God doesn't elect, everybody goes to hell. Because no man seeks for God. No man seeks for God. Read your Bibles. Believe them! Don't be afraid of what God says. Believe what God says! I know we're in some heavy doctrinal ground. We're going to talk a lot more about it next time. So I want to challenge you, if I'm making you uncomfortable with using words like As we talked about last week, predestination, election, chosen, called. If you have trouble with these words, then you need to come. You need to hear what God says. Okay? I'm not going to spin it. I'm just going to tell you what God says. Many people in the church, the modern church, they struggle with these terms. they never studied these terms. They've never been in a church that would actually preach about these things. But we will. We will. Why are these first century Christians being persecuted? It's not because God doesn't love them, it's because He does love them. This is a powerful message. It's not because God has forgotten them, it's because He chose them. Peter says, those, That's what He says, the, the very first thing He says to them. He wants them to know this. Jesus says, The world hates you for the very reason that I chose you. The world hates you because you belong to me. The world hates you because you are my elect exiles. The world hates you because you are my choice sojourners. What does God say to us in 2 Timothy 3.12? It says, Some who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Isn't that what it says? Some? No, it says most. Right. It says most. Most who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? Someone tell me what the Word of God actually says. It says all. Do you understand why I'm saying you, you need to be ready? You need to expect it. God's Word says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. You say, Jim, there's no persecution in my life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. But if you're, if you're a Christian, there will be. At some point, there will be. There will be. That's what God says. That's not what I say. It's what the Lord says. Satan demanded to sift Peter. It's the Job thing. I was talking with some people just this last week. And I said, Do you love the the God of Job? Do you trust the God of Job? It's the Job thing. You know, some people say the theme of the book of Job is why believers suffer. That's not even close to the theme of the book of Job. The the essential message of the book of Job is why believers still love God when they lose everything. Do you love God that much? <laughs> or Are you just in it for His blessings? You know, a lot of people in the modern church, they're just in it for His blessings. I want God to bless me. I want to have a, I want to have a God-sized rabbit foot in my, in my pocket. I want to feel lucky. I want to have God working for me. Of course, ha- Satan hates it when real Christians love God even though they lose everything. He hates it. And we, the real believer perseveres because we know that God is God and that God holds us. We persevere because we know our God has chosen us. We persevere because we know that our God is sovereign and nothing comes into our life that has not passed through His hand. Actually, over in chapter 4, and and I'm done, but over in chapter 4, Peter's going to say this thing. Uh, Verse 12, he says, "Do, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing. He says, why are you surprised? You're an alien. You're chosen of God. Why are you surprised? He goes down there in verse 14 he says, If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Is what Peter says. So Peter was the perfect man to write this book. He knows firsthand what it means to be saved by the sovereign grace of God. He knows firsthand what it means to come through a trial because God has brought him through. God is the root of Peter's persevering faith. God is the root of his joy. God is the root of his confidence. God is the root of his hope. Beloved, I pray that God is the root of those things for you. And I pray that in the coming weeks, we will humble ourselves before the Word of God. And if we struggle with some of the things that God says to us here, that even if we don't fully understand it, we'll receive it by faith. We'll begin to pray about it and work on it and think about it. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. If you have questions, I can't answer every question. There are 10,000 more questions uh, that you could raise that I could answer. But I'll do the best I can based on what Scripture says. I pray that we will embrace, love, and rest in the sovereignty of God in our lives. It's how real Christians come to faith in Jesus. And it's how real Christians honor Jesus in the storm. And that's what 1 Peter is about, beloved. I pray. I pray that you will study. That you will pray. Maybe commit parts of the book, the book of 1 Peter to memory. Study study hard on the things that that are difficult. Send me an email if you you say, Jim, I didn't understand what you said. Explain that. Please, we're here to learn. I don't want us to run from God's Word. I want us to embrace it. I want us to love it. I want us to humble ourselves before it. I want us to go out in the real world and live it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for this great book. We thank You for this man, Peter. We thank You for these truths that You have shared with us tonight. Lord, I pray that we can remember, always remember that we are aliens. We don't belong here. We're on our way home. I pray too, Father, that we would always remember that we're not experiencing persecution because You don't love us. We're experiencing it because You do. Because in eternity past, You set Your heart upon us to love us. There was no good thing in us, but You loved us. You purposed to call a people to Yourself for Your glory. And we rejoice and give thanks, O oh God. Teach us, Lord, I pray, this, from this little letter. Teach us. Change us. Grow us. Stretch us. We want to be radical Christians. We don't want to play religion anymore. We want to know that we're free in the world. And we are free in the world to live our faith as huge as we dare because You're God and You're sovereign. We praise You, great God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.